0: Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Good morning. All right. So, my name is James Ferber, and I'm the Youth and young adult pastor here at Wilmot Center. And I get to uh, bring you the final message on our focus series. And uh, we've been looking at the vision for our church and some of the key words that we've unpacked. Um, And we've looked at connect, grow, and then today I'm going to talk to you about engage. And I'm excited about that. I just think, for me personally, I feel like engage is the most adventurous and exciting part. And so I'm. uh, I'm excited to bring you a word on that today. So we've been working through this vision statement. Helping people follow Jesus as we authentically connect, continually grow, and intentionally engage. So that's our statement. That's our vision statement. And a vision statement is great, but what does it mean? And we've been trying to walk you through that this month. What does it look like for us? I was looking at um, a couple of statistics on how many people you'll come into contact over your life. And um, it really depends on the person, how relational you are. But they estimate that on average, you'll come into contact with over 50,000 different people in your life. It's a big number. I've all, I also read that you will be lucky to have 10 close friends in your life. So how do you take it from that interaction to that deeper level and that's key it's key because we're called to be relational people god is relational so part of engage we're going to talk about how do we build relationship how do we build relationship beyond our church into our community because we've talked about connecting and growing and that's building it within here but how do we build it out bigger One of the ways I think you can make a difference in people's lives is encapsulated in the word engage. And I'm going to read you the definition I came across in the Cambridge Dictionary. So the first part, the first, there were four that I came across right away. The first one was to employ someone. It's the first meaning of the word engage. The second meaning is to interest someone in something and keep them thinking about it. The third definition was to become involved or have contact with someone or something. And the fourth part to it is to make one part of a machine fit into and move together with another part of a machine. So it's it's got a strong meaning to it, this word. I'm going to try and unpack it for you today. Uh, It's it's a powerful word, and there are some images that came to my mind um, as I was reading these definitions we can put them up on the screen so it's that idea that you're sparking conversation people are thinking and talking and hopefully they're thinking and talking about some of the things that we as a community are doing if you can move ahead to the next one it's getting people to go in one direction it's bringing them together and getting them all moving together as one in one direction and then the third it's about it's like uh, gears in a car Um, they all work together. If one of them is broken, the rest of it doesn't work. And so we're trying to get in sync, in sync with our church and then in sync with our community. And so that picture for me too really spoke to me. So our goal as a church is this, to actively be looking for ways to employ ourselves for the kingdom of Christ, to find ways to interest our community in the church and cause them to think about the way of Jesus, to find ways to become involved in our community and make contact on a regular basis, and to find a way to move together with our community, to connect our church to our community so they work together. This won't happen on its own. It doesn't accidentally happen. You don't accidentally have a car, all the gears line up well and drive. But we can do this. So how do we do this as a church and as individuals? So if you were a part of the week of prayer, um, TJ mentioned that we had devotionals that went up. And um, my devotional video was on Thursday, and I shared from Luke 10. And I'm just going to read that passage of scripture to you and summarize what I said there, because I'm going to build on that today. So in Luke 10, we read this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of them to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So three of the important steps I saw there is the urgency in going and being sent with others. That was the first thing Jesus did. The second part was diving into relationships, going to homes and spending time with them. And the third part was about sharing and ministering, praying, seeing people healed and sharing with them the reason for our faith. And I shared that in my devotional, um, but I want to dive a little bit more into that. And we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about going and how Jesus did that. And so the first thing you notice with Jesus is he went. He must have worn out his sandals because he went to over 30 different towns just within a couple passages of scripture. I was working through the book of Luke and I read 30 different times when he went to a town. He was on the move. And he would stay. He would stay at people's homes. He would spend time in the city square and at the synagogue with people. He was so intentional. He was going, going, going. He was seeking the lost. So we find here that Jesus himself, example for us, we need to go. We need to be in the community. Now, it's interesting to note, too. Here's some of the places he went and people he spent time with. John 2, 1 to 10 talks about Jesus at the wedding feast. His first miracle was at a party. Okay, and Jesus loved a party. All right, that might sound weird to you, but he did. He loved when people were gathered together and he could spend time with them. And he didn't just make wine, he made the best wine there. He didn't do anything halfway. Matthew eleven nineteen 19 says, though, he took some flack for this. The son of man, this is Jesus speaking, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Jesus took criticism because he spent time with the people who actually needed him. He spent time with the people who were questionable or who were struggling. And Jesus took criticism for that. But he didn't care about that. He knew what his mission was. And that's our mission. Matthew 4, 2-7 talks about him visiting the Samaritan woman. And he spent two days in that village speaking and talking to the people they are building relationship. Luke 4:38 Jesus went to the home of Simon for dinner. Luke 5:29 Jesus was at a banquet thrown by Levi for him. In 7:36 dinner at the Pharisees. 8:40 to 56 he visited Jairus's house. 10 verse 10 of chapter 10 verse 38-42 Jesus spent time with Martha and Mary and he visited their house a couple times. Eleven thirty-seven. he had dinner at a pharisee's house it didn't matter if you were a part if you were in opposition to him or not he would visit you chapter 14 one to two he's at the house of a prominent pharisee and chapter 19 he had dinner at zacchaeus's house i don't know about you that's a pretty busy social schedule he was on the move he was visiting people spending time with them and i just was really impacted by that as i went through the bible how many times i read that Woody Allen has a quote, I think, that fits here. He says, 90% of life is just showing up. You know, don't you feel that sometimes? It's so hard. The hardest part is just getting to work or just getting to school or maybe just getting to church this morning. Just you being here took all of your energy and thank you for being here. But sometimes that's the hardest part. You just got to show up. I'm not a Woody Allen fan, but his quote nails it. And if we aren't going to make connections with people, we will never, ever be able to engage them. So think of it like this. First thought that came to me was when you get out of bed in the morning, okay? And we all get out of bed differently. You're wrapped in your blanket. You're nice and warm, comfortable. And the last thing you want to do is leave that comfort. Okay, some of you are nodding your heads, you were thinking that this morning, and a lot of us do it differently. So my way of dealing with it is I just, it's like a band-aid, you rip it off, okay? Not everyone does it like that. I just make up my mind, I roll right out, get up, turn on the light, I make it all at once. Just get the pain over with. And then I walk along, amen. <laughs> so we have a couple other people that would do it like that. My wife is not like that, and I learned that early in our marriage. I would get up, turn on the light, and it's time to get up. She did not like that light being on. That was not a good thing to do. So I've learned she has a process to getting up. It does not involve the light being turned on. There's a lamp for that once we've got to that point. So she may listen to a song. She may listen to some scripture reading. She may then turn on the lamp. And then she may, at that point, then roll out slowly, put her feet down, and off she goes. We all have different ways of going. Okay, so, um, but once our feet hit the ground, we're all on our, the hardest part is over. Okay, then you're on your way. And that's really what we're looking at here is, as we go to seek to engage, we have to find a way to show up. We have to find a way to get our feet on the ground and start to travel and get into the places where God has called us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is about building relationship. Jesus in the early church really focused on building relationship. Jesus spent all of his time, not all of his time, but most of his time with his 12 disciples. He was so intentional. And these are people he sought out. He, He found them and said, hey, come follow me. And they responded. Now, there were some people he said, come follow me, and they didn't. But that didn't deter him from seeking out people. And You read Jesus speaking to crowds of people and preaching for hours on end and ministering to them. And then at the end of that, he spends hours with his disciples, talking to them and helping them understand what just happened and what he was teaching. Jesus knew about relationship. He knew it took time. He knew it took time sitting with people, answering their questions, finding out where they were at in life. And in the book of Acts, I think they did a great job of this too. In chapter 4, 32 to 37... We read about the believers shared everything they had in common. We read here that if anyone had needs, someone would sell their belongings or a field or some sort of property, bring the money, put it at the disciples' feet, and say, let's look after them. And I love this part too. They devoted themselves to prayer, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and the Lord's Supper. That's relationship. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. I can understand why people are coming daily. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a community like that? Isn't that radical? We live in our homes now, we're so isolated. We don't have that same interaction. We have to work even harder at it. And yet that's what this world craves, and that's what's radical to them, a community that's interacting like that, sharing everything in need. Just like with the uh, Coopers this morning that we have a chance to share with them and just seeing the response and I know that you guys are amazing at doing that but that's radical to the world when you respond like that and you help people out. So but they also looked after others their wider community and in Acts 6 we read of a food program they ran which is pretty cool. The early church was running this for their community. Now they're having trouble there were so many people in need that there were people complaining you missed me I didn't get my food. It's hard work. So then they selected seven men to run this important program. So it was decided, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. This was done, and after this it is recorded, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Once again, when you go and spend time with people, and you look after their physical needs, and you build relationship, it's what the world is craving The word spread rapidly. So one of these seemingly unimportant men, and I say that because sometimes we don't realize the importance of serving. So one of these men, his name was Stephen. He started to attract the attention of the Pharisees. Why would this man who was a part of this food program attract the attention of the Pharisees? I can tell you why. In Acts 6, 8 to 10, we read, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. As he was delivering food and looking after people's needs, the miraculous was happening, open doors to him praying for people and seeing them healed. It's no coincidence that one of the people who was doing things, being the very hands and feet of Jesus, was seeing the miraculous happen all around him. And the importance of grow can be highlighted here too. He was a man who was full of the spirit and wisdom. He spent time with the Lord growing in his faith, and then he saw the miraculous happen when he went out. And so our words work together, connect, grow, and engage. I want to read to you from Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't light most effective in dark places? If you are at home you're shedding light in your home. But there's so many dark places out there. And the darker it is, the more impact the light has. And so we need to be getting out there with our light. Go is so important. I'm going to introduce a phrase here. It's called um, hang time. So hang time can mean many different things. In football, it refers to how long the football is in the air after a kick. They record the hang time, how long it's up there. Really, they record that because that's important. If the ball's in the air for four seconds. Most of the other team is already down there waiting for the guy to catch it. And that's not good for him. If you're on a roller coaster, it's that point from when you're at the very top of that drop. You know that point. You know that sound probably too, the click, 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 click as you get up there. And you look out and you look down and go, why did I do this? <laughs> and then you plunge down. And that's called hang time, too. And then you reach the bottom. Well, the the use of hang time that came to my mind was, there's a picture of um, Michael Jordan, if you can throw that up. Um, That's the hang time I always think of. So Michael Jordan was famous for this. Um, He could take off from the free throw line, just soar through the air like this, often with his tongue hanging out the side. That was one of his things. And it was just this moment in the air where it seemed like everything froze, And then he would come down with a thunderous dunk. And it's this this moment I want to talk to you about, hang time. We're looking to cultivate hang time in our community. So in evangelism, this refers to hanging out with your seeking friends long enough to really get to know them, to understand their questions and concerns, to deepen the trust between you, and to allow yourselves to delve deeply into spiritual conversations. So before you try and get to that place where you're telling them about the word or you're trying to really speak into an area of their life where there's need, they want, they need to spend time with you. They need that hang time. So here's an example of what hang time could look like. And I read this book. It was called Those Other Religions in Your Neighborhood. It's by Terry Muck. And I'm going to read a story out of there. So there's a story of a there was a letter written to him it was by a man who had lacked any spiritual interest but who lived next door to a committed christian they had a casual relationship involving talks over the backyard fence kind of picture that tool time mr wilson over the fence that's the first thing that came to my mind and those talks often got deeper didn't they um, they would borrow each other's lawnmower, stuff like that Then the non-Christian's wife was stricken with this illness, and she soon died. Here's a part of the letter he wrote afterward. I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and services like I was in a trance. And after the service, I went to the path along the river and walked all night. But I did not walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He did not speak He did not even walk right beside me, but in fact, he followed behind. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came over to me and said, let's get some breakfast. Well, I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to be like that. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. You can bet, though, as they had breakfast, that they did get into some conversation. There was an open door, no doubt. But it started with some hang time. Many times, the best gift we can give our seeking friends is our time, a listening ear, and a caring heart. I want to talk to you now about sharing. Sharing. Sharing is one of the keys in really taking people that next step. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There should be something different about us first. And then we have something to share with them. My wife traveled to Southland two years ago. And some of you may have heard that before, that church, that name. There's a church in Steinman, Manitoba that is experiencing incredible revival. The whole community there has been impacted by the growth of the church. In fact, if the church were to leave or close their doors, the community would never be the same. There would be a whole. Why? Let me tell you why. The people at the church love to serve and are known for that. In fact, when local businesses are looking for employees, they go to church and ask if anyone in the church body needs a job. Why? Because they have found that the people from this church are the hardest working, the most trustworthy, And they're the kind of people they need to run their businesses. Isn't that what we want to be known for? Wouldn't it be great if our community knew about our church and the people in it in the same way? And you can bet these people had opportunities to share their faith while at work. Because their bosses wanted them there because of their faith. And there's one more phrase I want you to think about as we talk about sharing. And I think it's the motivation behind sharing. It's what we want to see happen in our communities. It's called the ripple effect. If we can put up the picture. So the first picture up there shows it starting from one person at the bottom. And it's showing how that one person can interact and impact so many other people. One person can make a difference. If we can cue the next picture, it's that one drop falling into the water. Seemingly small and unimportant, but then it starts a chain reaction that actually gets bigger and bigger as it moves out. So I want you to think about it like this. Think about the person who led Billy Graham to Christ. The person preaching that day was Dr. Ham. Billy came. He heard him preach. He came forward, but it wasn't Dr. Ham that prayed with him. It was someone on the ministry team, kind of like right here. On our steps, we have a ministry team. Amazing things happen right here. Prayed for him, and he came to accept Christ. One person, one drop. You never know what the person is going to do that you impact. You never know who they're going to impact. And so here's some things, some numbers about what Billy Graham ended up doing. 2.2 billion, that's the first number. That's the estimated number of people who have heard him preach. Here's the second one. 215 million. Estimated number of people he preached the gospel to at live events. And here's the third number. 2.2 million, estimated number of people at his crusades who responded to the invitations to become a Christian. They had no idea that day that when Billy came to Christ at the stairs of a church, that he was going to go on to have that kind of ripple effect and impact people in that way. And we have no idea what our actions are going to do when we meet with someone and we love on them, we build relationship and we share with them. And that's our motivation We don't know how far it's going to go, but that's not for us to know. We're giving God a chance to work. When you're weighing whether to take a risk to tell others about Jesus, it's motivating to remember you might ultimately impact many others through them. One one person might go on to reach a child, a friend, a parent, an uncle, and perhaps a significant part of a community for Christ. Your limited efforts could have a ripple effect down through history, even touching limitless numbers of lives throughout future generations. That's exciting. That excites me. That's why I think Engage is one of the most exciting parts of the journey that we're on. It's also one of the most challenging. Like I said about the bed, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And that can be hard. You know, by today's standards, Jesus didn't actually speak to huge numbers of people. Couple times it's recorded, he spoke to very large crowds, but the majority of times, almost 80% of the time, he spoke to small groups of people. He spoke he spoke in homes. He spoke to the people that could be in that home. He spoke to a small group of friends. He spoke spoke to small groups, and relatively relatively few of them became followers. And yet, he changed the world because of the ripple effect. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The more you pour yourself out, the more you'll see happening. So it can be challenging. There are stages to this. But oftentimes, as you're engaging and building relationship, you'll have the opportunity to speak into people's lives. Now, we don't want to offend anyone. But telling God God's truth is a risk sometimes you need to do. You know, hopefully, sometimes it can even feel like you might jeopardize a relationship by telling them what God's truth is for their life. And yet, think of that ripple effect. You don't want to miss out on that. So there will be times we have to take a risk and share. But the Holy Spirit will prompt us and guide us. And if you are that light, and if you are living differently in the community in a way that people see... Oftentimes they're going to come and ask you. And that's why in Second Peter three fifteen it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. A key part at the end of it, too. Gentleness and respect. You know Hebrews four twelve says, "For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Our words, no matter how brilliant they are, are not as effective as the words of God. So we need to know them. So what does this look like for our church? Well, we need to become the kind of church that the businesses of our community come to when they're looking for great employees, people who love to serve." We want to be making such an impact with the hurting that the township talks to us and involves us in conversations about what to do about it. Do you know in Kitchener, Ray of Hope, are doing such an incredible job with the needy and the people on the streets that they are actually invited to town hall meetings. When City Hall gets together, they invite them to come and share what they've been doing. Isn't that profound? Isn't that amazing? What an opportunity. We have some opportunities already. As we shared up there on the video, Of one life group getting involved in the community helping out with the church at the fair we have more and more life groups that are starting to go out and do act do things in the community so it's exciting when you get involved in a life group here you're going to be you're going to have the opportunity to get out there and get involved we have the four wilmot campaigns these are opportunities for you to jump on board and start to go and it's so much easier to go with other believers we're not wanting you to go alone That's why we're working hard to provide opportunities for you to go. And now we have some alpha groups running. We have alpha will be starting up, we've had the alpha marriage running. We have alpha that will be starting up, um, alpha for parents with children, and then alpha youth will be starting up in the new year. We want you to be able to plug people in. So the last thing I want to talk about though is the heart of engage. This is where it really happens. I heard this quote, and it's all too true. Christians who lack conviction have very little to communicate to others. Think about that. Let me repeat it one more time. Christians who lack conviction have very little to communicate to others. We need to be people of passion. Passionate about going after the lost. Passionate about serving. Passionate about God's kingdom. The heart of the matter is our hearts. The question is, do we have the heart of the Father? Let me read to you about the heart of the Father. I'm going to read to you from Luke. I found myself reading a lot of Luke as I was preparing for this message. In chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So once again, people don't understand. Why is he going? Why is he involving himself as people? The needy. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me i have found my lost sheep i tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent god's heart is for the lost the rejoicing and the celebration in heaven do we have that on our hearts do we get that excited about seeing people come to christ and to see, about seeing their lives changed Here's the next parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And see God's heart again. And the next one is the parable of the lost son. I'm going to summarize this one for you. There was a man who had two sons. The youngest one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically he said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. So he divided his property between them. And that son went out, squandered the wealth in wild living. And then a famine hit. And he had nothing. And he didn't know what to do. And he ended up working for a pig farmer. And he was so... Destitute, that he would look at the slop that the pigs were eating and go, man, that doesn't look that bad. You know you're in a bad place when you think, that doesn't look that bad. And then he thought, what am I doing? My father's loving, he's gracious, he's amazing. Maybe I can even just go back as a servant to him. He says, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go back as a servant. And so he he heads back to his father. And the thing that blows him away and the part of the story that I think demonstrates the father's heart that we need to grasp hold of and that we need to, to have within us to have the right motivation to get out there and engage our community is that as the son is still far off, the father can just barely see him, which tells me the father's been watching and waiting, praying, and hoping that he would come back. And it says the father runs out to him, wraps his arms around him, and celebrates. My son, you are dead and you're alive again. Throws a feast in his honor welcomes him back, doesn't, doesn't want to hear anything about him being a slave again. He's his son. And it's this heart, this rejoicing the father has that we need to grab hold of. And that's the key to the word engage. So let me just tell you a little bit about what happened on Wednesday. We did some outreach with the youth. And I wanted to share with you a couple of things that they did. I saw some pictures on uh, Facebook of some people came across chocolates in their mailboxes um, and with a note. That was cool to see. Um, some of the things we did with uh, 40, uh, we had 40 people out, nine groups. Here's some of the things we did. We handed out 45 pops. We handed out over 50 bags of chips. We handed out 20 Tim Hortons gift cards. We handed out six Bibles. We prayed for our community in nine different locations. That was with only 40. We have over 300 here today. What could we do if we were all out one night together? How far reaching would the effects be? How great would the ripple effects be? It was exciting to be out there with them. The youth were fired up. They loved going up to people and giving them things. And the conversations that followed were amazing. We had so many people even just shut us down because they're like, what's what's the catch? What's the catch? What do you want? No, we just want to give you something. One guy said, people don't do that. Well, we're doing that. He, he had a hard time accepting things. And you know, a lot of people are like that. They have a hard time accepting anything because they don't believe that anyone would do that. There were um, a couple stories in there. One group talked with a former biker gang at Tim Hortons. Gave them some Tim Hortons gift cards and some treats. And even two of the people in that group said they'd love to come out and check out our church because they loved what was happening. One group found a wallet in a Walmart parking lot. And rather than just turning it at the Walmart, they said, we're going to drive it right to this person's home. And so they drove it to the house. The person wasn't there. And they left it in the mailbox. And they left it with a note saying, look, we're from Wilmot Center. We're the youth group out doing random acts of kindness. And we wanted to make sure you got your wallet back with a number. They got a call. They got a call later. And they were back here at the church. And this man called. and He couldn't believe it. He said, a group of youth returned my wallet? <laughs> he said, you know what? Tell me more about your church. So that leader got to talk with him about it. You know, and um, another group handed out chips and pop at the uh, skate park. We got to tell the kids why we were doing that. They thought that was pretty amazing. Must be a pretty amazing church to do that. That was only 40. We have so many more here today. And now that's a step. Those are the first couple steps going and building. And then there are steps after that. But that's why we have to constantly be in contact with people so we can continue to build on those first initial meetings. And that's why we have to be intentional about it and keep doing it. It's not a one-time thing. And it's the way you live. And it's about your heart. You know, sometimes even when you go, you have an opportunity to share right away. It's like you jumped forward because God's been preparing them. And there were some people... In their, on Wednesday, they even had an opportunity to talk about the Bible with people and witness with them and have deeper conversations. You never know when that's going to happen. You've got to be ready for it. So if I can ask the worship team to come up. You know, if we are a church that hungers for the lost and are convicted about getting into our communities, then we will have lots to communicate to others. We will be speaking the language the world is hungering to hear, a language of love and sacrifice. Our world thinks they know what love is, but they don't realize that at the heart of it lies sacrifice. And we know who embodies sacrifice and love. And you can't fully understand love unless you meet and know Him. So if you can start playing. Um, One of the last commands of Jesus. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We don't want to see anyone lost. But we need to go. So as I close today, I'm going to put a challenge to you. If I can have everyone stand. I want to spend a little bit of time in prayer with you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can do it right there where you're sitting. I'm asking you right now if there's someone on your heart that you've been praying for, that we can pray with you. We can join in prayer with you. Is there someone on your heart right now that you know needs Jesus? That you know needs to find a new way of living? Is there someone that you have been agonizing over and wanting to see their life changed for the better? sure there is. So what I want to do this morning with you is I want to join you in praying for them. So if there is someone, I would just ask that you lift your hand wherever you're sitting. If there's someone that you know that can use prayer, that you've been praying for, that you've been wanting to see impacted. There's so many of you that have something like that. That's amazing. So today is the day of going after those lost sheep that so God put on my heart for today and every day after it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray with you. And then we're going we're gonna to sing a song, a worship song. And uh, the words are going to be powerful. And I want you to really um, take some time even during that worship song to say your own prayer for that person. And then at the end of it, if you want to have further prayer, For yourself or for someone else, you can come to the front and we just ask, and if you are heading out to leave quietly, but for all those people that raise their hands right now and there's someone on your mind, I'm going to pray with you. Father, I come before you in prayer and in faith, believing. Your word says you desire all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. So I bring every person on the hearts of people here before you today. I break the name, the power of Satan from his assignments and activities in their life in the name of Jesus. Now, while Satan is bound, I ask that you send forth the perfect laborers to share the good news of the gospel in such a way that they will listen and understand it. As the truth is ministered, I believe they will open their eyes to the gospel, come out of the snare of the devil, and make Jesus their Lord. Father, I ask that you fill them with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. As I intercede on their behalf, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is activated from this moment on. I shall praise and thank you for their salvation, and I am confident that you are alert and active, watching over your word to perform it. It will not return to you void. It will accomplish whatever you please and bring healing in the person that it was sent to Therefore, my confession of faith is God has begun a good work in their life, and he will perform it and bring it to full completion until the day of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at Amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.